0: The ego and the mind, which are both limited beings, limited, they're just tools in your hand. But you, you have come to think, I am the mind and the ego. You've forgotten that they are tools, and now you become a slave to the tools instead of the master. And the tools tell you, I am God. <laughs> and everything is, is possible, and everything happens within the mandala of the world, and there's nothing beyond what you can sense and touch and buy and sell. That's what the mind tells you. And also it tells you, you can figure it all, all out with thought, which you can't. You can figure a lot about the material world by thought, but you can't figure out this peace and wisdom beyond. And what you have to do is knock at the door. <laughs> you know, you have to knock at that door that you don't know where, where it leads. And the spiritual work is knocking on the door.
1: Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to the show. The episodes and conversations just keep getting better and better. If you haven't already subscribed, please do. You don't want to miss any of these delightful conversations which promise to inspire your spiritual path. Remember, we are not alone. So this week's guest is a pretty incredible human and sadhak, with a story like no other. We met in India and were actually neighbors for some time. And I also had the pleasure of being guided by him through the Himalayas on some epic treks. But his story begins long before. It's my pleasure to introduce Kaur Trollson, or Vijay Sham as he's known, a certified meditation and philosophy teacher from Copenhagen, Denmark. He has trained intensively at the International Meditation Institute in Kulu in the Indian Himalayas, where he has studied for 10 years with a yogic master. Vijay has visited India frequently over the last 36 years, also studying Buddhism and living in Egypt studying Sufism. Furthermore, he is a seasoned therapist, writer, and takes groups for hiking and meditation retreats in the Himalayas with unplugged trails. So welcome to A Curious Yogi, Vijay. Thank you. It's great to have you here. And I know we have a lot to talk about, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to skip out on any of the important points of your story. So why don't you just start by letting us know where your spiritual journey begins? (laughs)
0: Um, uh, basically at birth but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think we all start there no uh, I guess I, I mean I think looking back now and I think it happens to many of us we look back and we see oh my god I've been a searcher a seeker always you know and you don't realize it until you meet somebody who tells you that that's a gift, <laughs> not a weirdness or a weakness or an unfitness for the normal world, which is often how seekers feel. But uh, yeah, I was interested in meditation and philosophy and anything Indian my whole since childhood, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, if I should put one point, one... Actually, it's a two-part thing how it happened i think i never told you the first part <laughs> so i was 20 i was in india and i totally loved being in india it was like coming home which i think many people experience that amazing feeling of coming home so the first thing was happened. i'll try to keep this short was like i got lost in a tiger reserve in the kerala kerala jungle hills
1: oh my god <laughs>
0: And I had to spend, I had to, I was lost, and I had to spend a night in a tree with tigers beneath the tree all night. <laughs> and and I kind of went into this weird, deep, deep space where I just, I thought I got an understanding of what it was to be human, you know, uh, like, here I am sitting in this tree. I cannot fly, I cannot fight, I cannot hide. I'm probably smelly and noisy. And and I have no special physical ability like the animals have their superpowers. We have our mind. And sitting in that tree, my mind was the biggest enemy because it was like dark. And there was tigers underneath, and you just wanted to switch off the brain, but it wouldn't switch off. And I went, I had this whole feeling of being back in ancient times, and you know, waiting for the sun to rise, and probably what, promising myself, if I survive this, I'm not going to go back and just continue my life of studying. I wanted to be an, a, bi- a biologist at the time, and I just thought, no. I'm going to do something different if I survive this. So I did survive. <laughs> and a month later, in the Himalayas, I heard about this holy man, this sadhu living high up in the mountains. You had to take a bus really far, and then you had to walk for two or three days. And I went up there. And I'd never met a holy person in my life. I just met the local vicar which wasn't very holy in my eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I came up there to this incredibly beautiful place and there was these three holy men. And I was 20 and I was really shy and totally in awe with these bearded, half-naked sadhus ascetics by this holy spring. And for a month I sat with them around the fire. It was cold most of the time. Uh, we, did, we did field work, we went to the village, which was a half a day's walk to shop flower. They didn't say much, but something happened to me during that month that I totally, when I left that, that sacred meadow after a month, my whole view of what I wanted to do with my life and what life was about had totally been flipped around. And I walked down as yeah, a changed person. And it was just sitting in the presence with these guys. Um, I do think the Tiger experience had primed me for that. <laughs> so uh, for me, there was an awakening for sure. For sure, it was an awakening. And then I went back to Denmark. And... For a long time, I kept dreaming about this babas, this one Baba who had a strong connection with uh, for for years, actually until for, forever <laughs> and then I ended up living in Egypt for a long time and was very interested in Egyptian esoteric knowledge, Sufism, studying Buddhism, very much into the history and um, also lost a little bit track of my spiritual path, kind of, but it was always there. Then I became a homeopath. And through that, I started going to homeopathic um, conferences in India and started really thinking about this Baba again, and went to, to the valley and the place where he lived, but he was no longer there. And I could not remember his name, except as Babaji, which is a common, it's just a title for reverend father, something like that. So, but through the seminars, I met uh, Rebecca, who was a homeopath, also in an the Ashram, and she said, I live in that valley. So she lived in the same valley as the Baba, or the side valley. So immediately I was drawn to her, and, and it's like, this is, I want to go and visit you. And we started making seminars together. And then she said the first time I was there, she said, do you want to meet my guru? I live at an ashram. And I was like, mm, yeah. I had visited several ashrams in of a guru and had given up the whole idea. Every ashram gave me basically claustrophobia and I just ran out. It was, you know, so she said, do you want to meet my guru? And I, I thought, yeah, why not? Would polite be, be, it would be impolite to say no. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to meet her guru and it was like sitting with that Baba again. Suddenly, I, reckon, I remembered that space of the holy, of the Baba that I met, that was uh, sat with 25 years before. Uh, so strongly that I thought, this is the same guy. But obviously it's not the same guy, totally different looking, but felt like it was the same guy. I felt like he would suddenly turn around and say, it's me. In disguise. <laughs> 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 and then I started visiting the ashram very often and eventually I moved there and he became my guru. And oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I never thought and I, I never knew what a guru really was, I realized. I never understood what the need of a guru was until I met this guy. Because in his presence, more than by his words, in his presence, which covered the entire ashram, well, covered the entire valley, basically, everything was sped up. Like all the realizations and all the breakthroughs and everything was just like, no, we used to say it's a pressure cooker. This ashram is a pressure cooker. That's how it feels to sit with a master. Suddenly, you are sitting in a pressure cooker. And it's certainly not always comfortable. It can be extremely uncomfortable also (laughs) because you meet all the stuff that you need to go off if you want freedom. And that's what he said. I teach freedom. So that immediately was like, yeah, (laughs) this is for me freedom.
1: I love that. It sounds like, you know, when you, when you were expressing that right from the beginning, you've been, a searcher and it's like what are you searching it's that freedom and then it's interesting to hear you express going to other ashrams where you felt claustrophobic it's almost like the opposite the opposite of freedom and then to meet your teacher and have that same experience of being in the holy meadow with the baba to have that same sense of freedom and the understanding of like what is true freedom from that different baba i'm wondering if you could express a little bit more like what was what was that feeling, that similarity feeling like? What, what was it inside of you that witnessed that the, that space in the Baba and in your Guru?
0: Well, I did not understand the space of the Baba until I met Swamiji, who became my Guru because I didn't know if I was just very young and odd and spaces in the high mountains. <laughs> I did not know it was their presence. But when I met who became okay, my guru. Then I was like, oh, this is the space. So how can you describe, how can you describe that? Well, anyway, it's basically indescribable. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, when somebody says, How is it to be in love and they have never been in love? Right? You cannot describe that. Oh, you know, how does how does a strawberry taste when you never tasted a strawberry you know but it's more like love than strawberry <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: but it, it's a feeling of let me just start by saying it's like I felt so lucky that I'd met this baba at 20 so I would recognize when I met a realized being again without that people get pulled into all kind of Terrible situations with teachers who are who are not, what I would call pure. Who is not for your freedom? Who might be for your control? You know. So uh, it's like it's it's that it's, it's a feeling of space, infinite space, infinite.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, actually, I just remember because recently I saw a clip of one of my first meetings with Swamiji. And I don't know where it came from, this thing, but I said to him, I said, it's like that he will, he's a mirror that reflects back only our true nature and is also a fire that burns away everything that is not our true nature. So there's only what is true, the truth of us left. Uh, And that's, I think that's the feeling You sit with a person like that and you have a sense. There's no personal agenda for this person. There's no private goals. Their goal is just for your freedom because that's what they are. And I think a teacher like that, I think what you get a sense of is that a person like that, teacher or not, a person like that is sitting outside the mandala of this world and they're looking in at us running around in the maze of the mandalans in this world. And they're saying, hey, <laughs> can you hear me? <laughs> and if you're lucky, you hear them. <laughs> and they say, you don't have to run around in there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Come out. <laughs> Sit with me. I <laughs> will tell you the way out, but you have to walk it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the feeling. It's like you're connected. You. It's like a door is opened inside you and also out away from you into that space of where you come from. And they're telling you, actually, they're telling you, "You you're not really caught in that maze. That maze, that mandala of the world is just a little part. You are infinite and so am I and you are me. I remember Swami said, you are me and I'm nothing but pure space. I guess that's the feeling.
1: Pure space, nice.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that is pretty indescribable.
0: It's 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 totally overwhelming, and it is like falling in love, and it's like you suddenly realize what you've been missing and looking for, and it unravels everything that you thought was important.
1: So, when you first went to the ashram and you met Swami G, were you still living in Egypt technically at that no, time?
0: No, w- no, I was living in Copenhagen. I'd been, I don't know, six, six years in Copenhagen. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But would you say that you were, you know, you were in the West, you were in the world running the race in the Mandala? Like... Oh, well,
0: I, yeah, it was my first serious attempt on at being a part of the Mandala. <laughs> <laughs> it's also kind of a very spiritual place. And so you kind of float around a bit there if you're sensitive to that. But in Denmark was my first attempt and... And I was very successful with my homeopathic practice. But when I met Swamiji, I was like, I can't sit in this clinic the rest of my life. It's not enough.
1: So after (laughs) that, you, you started, you just moved to India and you were there for quite a while, right?
0: Yeah, I started going all the time for a month, two months. And then after a very short time, I was like, no, I can't keep going back and forth. And he was in his late 80s. And I thought, if I want a year with this guy, at least a year. And uh, I went to go for a year, shut down my booming business. Not the best business advice to follow, but life is more than business. And then I went there and I stayed for five years and only left because my visa and my money ran out. Otherwise, I wouldn't have left at all. Uh, For me, it's the the most important thing that's happened in my life. Nothing compares mm-hmm. to it. And like Swamiji said, this will ruin you for the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and lucky, lucky, it's lucky certainly,
0: It certainly has ruined me for the world. I just can't take it serious the way I did before. And by the world, I also mean my inner dramas. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's also the world. There's mm-hmm. no separation between the inner and the outer drama, really.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know you just, um, you touched on Swami's teachings, which are essentially teaching freedom, but could you speak a little bit to thread that you've encountered with the teachings of Swami and what the, what the basis of those teachings were and how they relate to the other philosophies that you've studied? And I know you're continuing to study and expand your awareness of these spiritual principles.
0: That's a big question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's kind of like a question on a question on
0: a question. <laughs> uh, in a way, you could say Swamiji's central teaching is a total deconstruction of everything you think you know. It's the self inquiry. It's asking yourself about, and he did that every day. Every concept you picked up, even from him, he wouldn't allow you to. Wouldn't allow you to hold that concept. You would always challenge that concept. So. You know, it's called self inquiry which means, can mean, you can actually say it's both asking, what am I? But also asking, what is the self? Which is a word for the all permeating spirit, consciousness, space, God, whatever name we can call that, life. That thread is also what made me study homeopathy. It's the wish to know what's behind it all. You know, what's the pattern behind the appearance? Uh, was always something I always thought there must be something. I always had this feeling everything can be read, you know. it's true, you can read hands and feet and eyes and faces. Everything is telling us a story. And, and that's what drew me to homeopathy. And that's also what drew me to, you know, to, to Sufism and to Buddhism and uh, studied a lot of Jung. And all this, it's that feeling that, well, there's something beyond the visible, there's on, something beyond the apparent reality. And that's also what artists work with. I was a painter for many years. And those are also like windows to the beyond. If it's good art, it's a window to the beyond. What I really loved with Swami was that he had language for that. And in generally Indian philosophy, if we can call it that, has language for that in a more sophisticated way than anywhere in the world, any tradition in the world. At the same time, they also are very much aware that language can only go so far. There's a limit to language. So you don't get caught up in concepts and dogma and scriptures. They're just guides, pointers. I guess, yeah, the threat was very much a sense of seeing something beyond, which I guess I had since childhood, and then mm-hmm. fi- you know searching it, searching, searching, searching. I do think everybody searches that in their own way, but not everybody takes it into the spiritual realm. They may, might just have a sense of it and look for it in love or possession or beauty, but there's something beyond that, you know, those appearances too, which you can call that space or that thing beyond the mandala of life the wheel of life, the force, the power behind everything. And with Swamiji, which I still appreciate to this day, he taught us meditation, which which is an encounter with that indescribable space. And he himself as a presence was an example of that indescribable space. And he himself as a teacher was very much also teaching us What can the mind do? Where are the limits of mind? What are the pitfalls of mind? And so it's like unraveling the whole mind story, unraveling you from mind and from your story. And I think both are very necessary. The mental intellectual work of reading, writing, discussing, picking apart understanding, and then the pure experience one without the other doesn't work meditation alone doesn't work he used to say meditation can make you uninvolved but it can't make you free and studying although oh, it's just a, a quote i read today in this the gnostic gospels that i'm reading and it said something like a man can know everything but without self-knowledge he knows nothing all right and so i felt that he did that It all comes down to self-knowledge. Even the most complicated scriptures and intellectual Sanskrit terms, they're they're there to bring you to that.
1: Do you think that that self-knowledge is accessible or possible in one's life without finding a guru like you said before there's so many te- hmm. you know teachers yeah. Yeah. out there and and i i'm just like thinking of a listener who is like i yeah. want to find a teacher but what a feat in this year 2022 you know
0: well there are examples of people who just you know like Ramana Maharshi or Sadhguru, who just sort of spontaneously realize they then say it's because of work done in past lives. I don't know if all the listeners believe in past lives, (laughs) but I think it's rare that you do it without a teacher. But the good teacher also tells you, you know, it's all in you. It shouldn't be mistaken for you already know it all (laughs) because it it's like the knowledge you're looking for is kind of hidden by the worldly knowledge. You know, it's just like a psychologist can point out your habits and flaws and stuck places. A guru does that on a much deeper level saying, hey, look at that. Look at that. They keep, you know, holding you to the fire, so to speak. So I think it's in my personal experience, what happened when I met my guru was that everything just went into warp speed, (laughs) you know, so... Uh, there's a reason for the tradition of teachers and pupils is that we can't see our own mind, we can't see ourselves, and we are so e- we so easily accept teachers in all other fields, right But to accept it in this field, which is a very difficult field, an intangible field, and a field we're not used to even discussing to think that we don't need it in this field, I think it's wrong. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. At least
0: look, at least look.
1: It seems almost like reaffirms like the need for a teacher that it's so narrow-minded to think, to have the, the resolve that I don't need a teacher for this inner work. It's almost like just reveals how narrow-minded the mind is like how non-expansive it is.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like the ego and the mind, which are both limited beings limited they're just tools in your hand but you you have come to think i am the mind and the ego you've forgotten that they are tools and now you become a slave to the tools instead of the master and the tools tell you i am god <laughs> and everything is is possible and everything happens within the mandala of the world and there's nothing beyond what you can sense and touch and buy and sell that's what the mind tells you and also tells you You can figure it out all out with thought, which you can't. You can figure a lot about the material world by thought. But you can't figure out this peace and wisdom beyond. And what you have to do is knock at the door. (laughs) You know, you have to knock at that door that you don't know where where it leads. And the spiritual work is knocking on the door.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: you're knocking and you're knocking, and and one day it will open, and that's what they say. Uh, I am is the door.
1: After all these years of studying and being immersed in Indian philosophy and the study of meditation, and even I know your website is non-dualistic, like the study of non-duality. I was wondering if you could speak to. And also because I love learning Sanskrit words and spiritual mm. um, spiritual terminology and practices. If you could speak to the five modes of learning yeah. which yeah. come from the Vedas.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I never use Sanskrit words in my teaching because mm. people here don't know them. So, but, but there's, a, there's a concept about five modes of learning or stages I don't really think they are stages that come after each other. They keep, you know, you keep popping into those different modes of learning. Vivek means discrimination. It means trying to see the real from the unreal, the truth from the untruth, the eternal from the changing, the constant from the crumbling. You know, you start asking yourself, what is true? What is the meaning of this? What am I doing here? Why am I here? What can I trust, which words carry truth and which are just information about stuff? You know, that's Vivek. Often that's, what I, that's one of the first things that happens. You're like, hey, what is this world? <laughs> what am I doing here? Then another important thing, like it might also be the first one is Vedagya, which means disillusionment, which in English is a terrible word. It means he's disillusioned, meaning he's sitting at the bar, drinking, crying. He's lost his <laughs> drive. But actually, it's a positive word. You're beyond illusion. Disillusionment, it's a great word. I think the reason why it's not a positive word in Western modern thought is that we want our illusions. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, ignorance and, is bliss, that thing. yeah, Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I always thought that know, was so funny. <laughs>
0: yeah. So. Viragya means disillusionment, and in Indian philosophy, it's a blessing. It's the it's first step. You're disillusioned. You've done everything. You've achieved this and this and this and that. You've tried this method and that method, that, 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 for happiness. You're seeking happiness and freedom, happiness and freedom, and you've done all these things. And still, it's not permanent, your happiness, your freedom. You know, you like what happened to me, I got success in my field. And it was like, this is not enough. That's disillusionment, mild, but it can be very, very rough also. It can happen after you lose, or people lose something or people die. You're like disillusioned. This world, is not gonna give me what I thought it was gonna give me. Or at least the methods the people around me told me, play tennis, buy a house, get married, whatever it is be promoted lose weight get a head head transplant (laughs) eat ice cream (laughs) then you will be happy and it's true you get glimpses of happiness uh, but what I made you happy now will not make you happy next year or next year you know like one ice cream is not enough (laughs) it fades then you have to eat another one and another one and another one so it's kind of how we get addicted to the world Addiction is, you know, when something gives you a, a short bliss and then you go down, and then a short bliss and then you go down. And after you've done that enough, you can be lucky enough to be hit by disillusionment, And then you start asking, what is this? What is truth? Where is it? What am I looking for? What's the purpose? So those two are kind of, you know, they're big things. And a teacher can take you through disillusionment. Without a teacher, it's difficult because you just think, I'm a loser, (laughs) right? (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) You know, I'm stupid. You know, you feel foolish. And then uh, slavan, which means to listen. In modern times, to read also. means. So you start listening to teachers, reading texts, and discussing with other people this whole idea of What's the meaning? What is truth? What's the purpose? How can I discern the constant from the changing, crumbling from the solid? And that's also a phase. But again, I don't think they come after each other. They, they come. You would go through several rounds of disillusionment, several rounds of asking, is this true? I had a time in the Ashram where I had severe viragia about the whole Ashram, silly disillusionment about the whole Ashram. I was like... Is this even working? Are any of these people achieving anything? Am I, is my guru even, does it work for him? And you know, it felt terrible at the time, but I think you have to ask yourself those questions. Then there's manan, man means mind, and manan means mind work. It means you by yourself think, consider, contemplate. And all this work, all this is happening within the mind, all this work to you as a person. That's kind of what you can call refining the intellect. Then the last one is, you can never say, Nidya, Nidyasana, I've written it down, (laughs) Nidyasana. Which, (laughs) probably because this is where you go beyond mind, it's it's meditation, resting in deep meditation. So, yeah, you can be a clever, learned person, a pundit, but if you don't do this meditation, which means step beyond the mind surrender to the space beyond then it just becomes dry knowledge and concepts so yeah the whole the whole thing is to it's for you to know that you are outside the mandala looking in you're not caught right it's not it's the even the process is illusory <laughs> you're not struggling your way out of the of the mandala you are transcending the idea that you are even caught in the mandala in the first place. And so these five steps, they can, they keep, you know, you have periods where you read a lot and talk a lot with other people. Then you have periods where you're just thinking and contemplating by yourself. Then you have periods where you, meditation comes easily to you, you're basically living a meditation state. Then you have periods where you're feeling ultimately disillusioned and disgusted with the world and with everything. And there's no bliss. Even you're like, you know, you know. And then comes Vivek. Suddenly you're like, oh, that whole suffering space was just me getting sucked into my mind again. I'm not the mind. I'm the witness of the mind. So I, I can practice disc- discrimination. And then so it goes through cycles after cycles after cycles, and it just becomes more and more and more subtle how you get caught. The disillusionment, disillusionment becomes about more and more subtle things. Doesn't mean they become easier, just subtler.
1: <laughs> Would you say that in your own personal practice, these are kind of like the pillars or the, what you call on when, you're going, when your sadhana is suddenly changing or, or you're going through yeah. where things are as if crumbling? I loved how you expressed in yeah. the... Yeah, uh,
0: well, con- con- they are supposed to crumble. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always, I always try to keep something in my bag that I, I can read. Some I, it can be Rumi, It can be the Gnostic Gospels. It can be Swamiji's books. It can be many things. You know, anything that is that I what I, what I would call truth, which I think all deep seekers, genuine seekers in the world of all traditions, have come to that point. Um, I always try to keep something like that around. Then I try to always be aware to have good company or be alone. Right? That is for the Shravan in a way. That's for the interaction. You know, once you start seeing this, you get viragya with some of your friends, with many parts of society, many things. And you want to be more alone. And when you want to be with the people, it's people who understand what you're talking about. Um, And then some periods, yeah, you read a lot. Some periods meditation is just so easy and sometimes it's not easy. Yeah, you keep going through these processes. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you speak to any experiences or times maybe recently or long ago where your sadhana did change? You know, your practices. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. It keeps changing. (laughs) It does keep changing, and trusting. I mean, it's like yeah, trusting that there will always be a breakthrough, and it never comes where you expect it because that's the nature of a breakthrough. It never comes where you expect it, you know. So it's like suddenly you see something, and you're like. My God, it's been staring me right in the face for the last <laughs> twenty years, <laughs> and I have not seen it. <laughs> you know, and once you see it, you can never unsee it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny example, but I, it's I, it's during a difficult time in the ashram, I was in my mind and struggling. It took me many months, and I wrote a letter to our guru, which he, he often took letters that took me a long time to write. And I was like, I'm standing on the, I feel I'm standing on this cliff's edge. Behind me is the world I used to know and everything I used to, that used to interest me or uh, have importance to me. It's now like ashes. Front of me is the possibility of some kind of freedom and liberation, but I don't know what it is. And it's a kind of death, it's also a kind of death, but behind me is also a kind of death. <laughs> and I'm standing here and I, I can't move. So I wrote that to him, hoping for some good advice. And he just, <laughs> and he just wrote, thank you for your letter. It is all mine.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. Why can't you, why can't you give me some something else? And, but now I'm like, yeah, that's the best advice I ever got. I was, there was no one standing on that cliff edge with this behind and that in front because there is no path. There is no person going from stage to stage. It's all an illusion. You are already that. Uh, And I think it was the same period where, so I went to the local gym and I was in the gym. I was listening to Cher and she was singing the song, "I'm strong enough to live without you."
1: Oh, great tune! <laughs> yes.
0: And suddenly, I was just like, "Oh my God, I have to break up with myself." I'm, living- I'm strong enough to live without me. I suffered long enough. I'm strong enough. So, like, I realized, you know, not just me—we all living in a, in a dysfunctional relationship with who we are and what we think we are. Pure consciousness spirit is living in a dysfunctional relationship with a controlling bastard called the (laughs) ego body-mind. It's not really a bastard, but once we give into it and think that's who I am, it's like a bloodsucker, right? So suddenly I was like, oh my God, I've been living in a dysfunctional relationship with myself and I have to break up because I'm strong enough to live without me, without you. (laughs)
1: Look at that.
0: Guru is <laughs> everywhere. Even sta- in guru, g- guru, Everything is guru. Everything yeah. is trying. Everything is shouting as loud as it can. Be free. or oh, you are mm. free. We just have mm. to listen. It's whispering and shouting. It's kicking us. It's speaking in our dreams. It's, every flower is showing us something. It's like that beautiful book, The 24 Gurus of Datatray. This famous Indian sage who had no guru, but he had 24 gurus it was space, a mountain, a flower, a river, fire. There is no, guru is not a person. And our guru said that. This is yeah. not, I, I'm not a person. I'm your truth trying to wake you up.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it's the practice of the Shravan, which is hearing guru everywhere and being open to actually yeah. not just listen, yeah. To the world around you but to hear the space and actually hear so that we hear that the truth resonates
0: yeah what we're hearing is ourselves so it is true we know it all but somebody sometimes have to take our hand and say let's walk together <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's walked who's done it mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and just hearing you express about Trace, 24 Gurus, the mountain, and this, it made me think of your connection with nature. And I know, like being in India together, how connected you are to the mountains, to nature. Mm. Like, I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit how that has impacted your son or what that connection is.
0: One aspect was that being in the pressure cooker of the ashram, <laughs> somehow getting out and just being a body walking in the mountains timeless mountains was a way of integrating all that in a way you know it was it was part of the sadhana uh, uh yeah nature too uh, i think it was uh, i could not just sit there all the time maybe i have a restless nature. I'm sure I have a restless nature, <laughs> but also it helped, you know, helped me to integrate everything I was learning because there was so much learning. And then those mountains are, have been homes for sages, probably for 10,000s and 10,000s of years. And that's, that's probably a reason for that. Oh, another story. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah, it's an inspiring place.
1: Speaking of the learning and the inspiration, I think that's a beautiful point to end on. And I was wondering Mm -hmm. if, if to end, if you could leave any words of wisdom for our curious yogis that are listening, (laughs) any, you know, even key points to like what it means to be a sadhak. any guidance, you'd leave a young yogi like myself or my peers. (laughs) (laughs) with. Although the yogi is
0: timeless, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the word of wisdom. The yoga is timeless. Well, well, one thing just popped into my mind is that, you know, sadhana, the spiritual process, it's invisible to everybody else. Maybe your guru can see it if it's a good guru. Otherwise, it's invisible and it doesn't really produce any outward signs. Not really, you know not the depth of it. Uh, So it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't have to look like anything. it's invisible. Whatever people think you're doing or judging you, they don't see it. And you don't expect, you know, to get beaming eyes and curly hair if you want that, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, you know, it's, uh, but I'm sure that the people who are also doing the similar work will have a sense of it. But most people, you might just look like a fool, right? Uh, And Swami said that, you know, to the world, the yogi looks like a fool. To the yogi, the world looks foolish. And so just be prepared that you don't ask for anybody's appreciation of your spiritual path because then you're caught. That's the ego, the ego wants appreciation. And also, It's your sadhana, it's your process. It means everybody has their own path, their own way. It all works differently from person to person. You can't compare your sadhana to anybody else's sadhana. Don't compare yourself. If people try to compare you, don't listen to them. I think the last thing is, uh, which is not really my words, these are the words of this Baba, which, oh yeah, I want to tell that, In the end, after our guru passed, I found him again after 33 years, uh, which was pretty miraculous how it happened. I won't get into that. But meeting him again was like, I was like, there's my guru again. There's that space, right? It's like, my guru didn't, my guru is still here. (laughs) You know, oh, he's always been there as space. Anyway. Yeah, so he, he popped up after 33 years and speaks just the same wisdom as Swamiji, which is like, oh my God, how lucky can you be? So he said, keep observing everything. When something pops up into your mind, observe it. Observe it, observe it. He's saying, just keep observing Without attachment, without judgment, without purpose, without intention, but simply practice observing. He's saying, That is the way. <laughs> and he's saying, It might take you so many years or so many lives, but this is the way. It will lead you to freedom. Patience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Patience. Uh, not because I wanted to end with a word specifically by him, because there's so many things I could quote from Swamiji also, but you know, they speak from the same place. They're both outside the mandala telling you, come on, the water is nice,
1: jump. (laughs) I just love all your stories. And I also have always appreciated, you know, you say sadhana is invisible, but we can appreciate in others can, the reflection of the sadak. Like you see that, that freedom seeker in each other and I've always felt a kindredness with you in that sense. <laughs> so yeah. it's been so amazing to have this beautiful, lighthearted conversation. A few laughs, I'm, I was expecting that <laughs> when <with laughs> talking to you. <laughs>
0: you know, that's what I feel. Like, you know, one should, like everything between silliness and wisdom doesn't matter any longer. Right?
1: Yeah, it's true.
0: Humor and wisdom—they both sit the same in a way, and everything in between is just shopping lists of the world. So, mm. yeah, humor and wisdom. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So, is there anything that you'd want to share with our listeners that you're working on next, or where people can working find on?
0: You? So I'm. Um, I'm in Copenhagen, and every Sunday I do a free meditation, guided meditation, and dialogue class. You can also join on Zoom. and uh, It's free. It's a two o'clock Danish time, so th- that I always do. Then I do courses which are in person, but it's like nine to ten week courses that Vivek Vidyasagar Savan, Manan like that whole thing, <laughs> you know, but with different aims, different subjects. Then I do day retreats and several day retreats. And then I do kirtan meditation events with kirtan singers where we do, kirtan is this mantra singing, meditation and mantra singing combined, which is a very powerful tool. And then (laughs) I hope to get this unplugged trail, uh, hiking meditation retreats in the Himalayas working again. It's been down for a few years because of Corona. And I'm writing, I'm working on some books which are novels basically tools for this message of freedom as a novel
1: beautiful and and where can people find you or connect with you to see okay so podcasts? there's a web,
0: web, website is nondual n-o-n-d-u-a-l dot d-k and on facebook and instagram it's nondual denmark Or DK.
1: Well, well, I'll be sure to leave all that in the show notes. And I just really wanted to thank you again and appreciate you. you. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Yeah, pleasure too. and It's a great initiative to share these stories. I wish I had that when I was a young sadhug. Timeless.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Curious Yogi Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love, and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.